Thank you, Pastor Bob and, and Case family uh, for leading us in worship. Josh, would you get me a, a thing of water? I'm sorry. Who's got allergies that are affecting them right now? Yeah, isn't it great? Um, you know, as I heard Bob pray and, you know, talk about uh, how I am uh, right now to deliver God's word to you, it's a little bit overwhelming to, to think about that. And, and even as we met with the DS and, and the church board and, and we extended call for another four years now, it's uh, a little bit overwhelming to think of that role as your pastor. It's not something I sought. It's not something that I went through school and said, hey, I think I'll be a pastor, but I, I, I believe and I know God called me. And, uh, you know, I am appreciative of this church. I'm appreciative of this church board. Uh, I, I believe, as Paul says in Corinthians, that this ministry is given to me by God's grace. <laughs> uh, not, not that I've seized it or I've earned it, but, but by God's grace, he has given me a place in his ministry. And, and from that aspect, that means that you guys, well, thank you. Stage left. Uh, <laughs> That means you are instruments of God's grace in my life as you allow me to pastor you. Uh, I, I am well aware that I am not perfect, and all God's people said, and neither are you. <laughs> uh, well, none of us are, are perfect, and you know, I, I, I know many times I have perhaps failed you, but not purposefully if I have. And I want you to know I love you, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to be your pastor. Uh, we believe... Uh, your, your church leadership, your pastor, uh, your church attendant. We believe that God is wanting to do something awesome in our midst. And so we are believing and praying together. And I hope you're patient with me and I'll be patient with you and we'll get through this together. Amen. <laughs> Let me read some scripture. Stay with me as we read this. This is the psalmist writing. Your unfailing love, O Lord is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights, for you are the fountain of light, the light by which we see. Lord, bless your word. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. did want to mention also that we've, our salvation candle is lit again this morning. Uh, Tammy Jacobs. Um, Tammy Jacobs' uh, cousin, Barb, accepted Christ as her Savior here in these last days. And so we're praising God for that. And I know uh, Tammy's really rejoicing in, in her salvation. What, what, what is your source of life? When you stop and think about it, what, what is the source of life? What, what gives you life this morning? And, and there's a lot of ways we could answer this question. Uh, of course, if there was no oxygen in this room, we would cease to live, right? You know, we, we have to have air. We have to have water. You know, water is necessary for life. That, oh, and it tasted so good right then. Water is necessary for life. You, you can't go more than, what, three or four days without water, and, and, or you, you will pass, you will die. We need food. Amen, we need food. 
Maybe not the food that we eat. You know, maybe we don't need Der Dutchman, but we like Der Dutchman. We need food. All those things are necessary. We, we, we can think of the essentials of life, air, water, food, protection, safety. You know, we, we, we need all of these kind of things to, to, to live. Uh, we, we can think about beyond just surviving. We need family and friends. We need each other. You know, that, that's one of the things, as we, we gathered and sang, uh, you know, I am so congested and clogged up from allergies right now that I can't hear you sing, and, and it's kind of hard on me. It was, it was more difficult for me to, to be singing here in isolation. We need each other. We, we need family and friends. La- last night, we were th- with, with the family. We, we went to a high school basketball game. Then we had birthday parties for Spencer and for Wyatt, and, and all the family gathered together. And, and it's just, you know, that, that awesome togetherness of family and friends. We, we need that. But, but the source of it all, is, as the psalmist says, is God. God gives life. And you are living and breathing and alive and with family and friends in this church today because of God. God is the giver of all life. Now, now Jesus says, and it's in, in In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about how good his heavenly Father is. And Jesus says words to these effect. He says, God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God blesses all of humanity with the elements of life. He's not talking about sunshine is good and rain is bad, but but rain and sunshine is necessary for life. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to know that God causes blessings to fall on the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes blessing to come to all. And so that means this morning that that, that whether you believe in, in God or not, whether you're following him or not, God is the source of your life. Whether you acknowledge God as the source or not, God is the source of life for all. And if God ever said no more, there would be no more, whether we accepted him or believed him or not. God gives life. Now, now we've been going through this series on baptism called Marked, and, and we're talking about our identity, who we are as the people of God. As we look at baptism, it illuminates, it informs our identity, it tells us who we are. And, and so we're, we're talking about baptism. And on Easter, we're going to have a great baptismal service on praying. <laughs> and there's sign-up sheets in the back. If you've not been baptized... And you're a believer. Uh, We we believe that you should follow the command and the example of Jesus Christ and be baptized. We believe it's an important step to take in a believer's life. And so if you've not been baptized, I hope this Easter you'll join us and and you'll be baptized. Or or maybe you just want to affirm or confirm a previous baptism. I found in my ministry there's, there's many people that were baptized when they were younger, when they were infants, before they really had a good understanding, or even after they had a good understanding. There's, there's times of wanderings, and, and, and I think sometimes people just need that opportunity to reaffirm, to confirm the baptism that took place in the past. And so we want to give you the opportunity on Easter Sunday to either be baptized or confirm or reaffirm a baptism. So sign up in the, in the foyer. 
Last week we talked about this. In baptism, we are dying the death of Christ. And we're using Rob Staples has a book called Inward Grace, Outward Sign, which talks about the, the sacraments of baptism and communion. And at some point, we'll, we'll trace and, and, and begin to understand what communion means, how it informs us, our identity. But, but, but the first thing is, in baptism, we're dying the death of the cross. We talked about this last week. We are the people of the cross. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a person, your identity, your, your, your nature, the, the way we live is sourced and found in the cross. We are dying in our living. That, that, that is the way that we live, that, that, that we live with this ideal that we are buried with Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus we find life and in being buried with Christ we learn what it means to live. And this week, we're going to look at the next thing. In baptism, we are living the life of Christ. We're dying the death of Christ, and we are living the life of Christ. So let's go back. What what is our source of life? How do we find life? What is life for all humanity, but particularly, what is life for the people of God? Baptism, when you are baptized, you're testifying to this inner work. This, it's an outward sign of what God is doing within you. And in baptism, you are saying, my life is found in God. You know, this is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, there is story after story. There is letter after letter. There is instruction after instruction that in essence says that all of life is found in God. It begins in Genesis. The Genesis account is this description of life being found in God. And creation, the creation account, actually informs our understanding of what it means to be baptized. You know the story. It's, it's, the, the, the creation poem begins with these, these seven days of creation. And, and God begins and, and water is covering the entire earth. And, and the, the creation account begins that, that God begins to pull life out of the water. Out of the, of the expanse and, 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 and the chaos of the water, God pulls life in order. And so you find in the creation account that brought, life is brought from the water. And so when you're being baptized, when you're coming out of the water, there is this imagery that connects with the creation account that God is bringing forth life out of water. Now, we've been talking about the Exodus account, and the Exodus account is connected to the creation account, which is connected to, to what we do even now. All of the, can you believe it? The Bible is connected, okay? It's a continuing thing. In the Exodus account, we talked about last week the Passover. The, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, are captive. They're slaves in Egypt. Joseph has moved to Egypt, and, and it says there, there comes into power a Pharaoh who does not remember who Joseph is, and, and the Israelites become slaves in Egypt. And so they're working, they're building the pyramids, doing all the things that you do as a slave in Egypt. And God calls Moses back from the wilderness, and Moses begins to lead 
the people of Israel. And so in the Passover, we, we see all these plagues, all these signs, we, and, and God establishes that he is God, Pharaoh's not God, God is God, and, and through this last sign, the sign of the Passover, through death, the death of the Passover lamb, that the people of Israel are led from, from slavery to freedom, from death to life, And through the Passover lamb and through this Passover event, the people of Israel are led into freedom. So God leads them and he begins to take them towards the promised land. And if you look at, if you ever get a map and look at what's going on in the Exodus, when the people of Israel leave Egypt, they don't go by a direct route into the promised land. Instead, God leads them on this like path out, in the, out into the middle of nowhere. He leads them by this indirect path. And, and let's just stop and think about that. Has God ever led you by an indirect path? <laughs> you know, the amazing thing is, but for the indirect path, we don't have the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea. At the end of your indirect paths, I believe, is an opportunity to show, for God to show his glory and his power. So I'd say be patient in the indirect paths, because the indirect paths can lead to pretty dynamic events. So he leads them by this indirect path, and they, they come to the Red Sea. And of course, you, know, you don't just cross with 600,000 plus People, I think that's 600,000 is the men. So, you know, 1.4, 1.5 million, whatever the amount is, a big group of people. You don't just cross a sea with, with that many people. You know, there's plenty. You've got to figure out a way to do it. And God takes them to the Red Sea. And then the Bible says that God has hardened Pharaoh's heart and, and Pharaoh begins to send his armies pursuing the people of Israel. And so here they are. They're, they're at the edge of the Red Sea. They're, they're stopped by the Red Sea. And behind them, there's a pillar of fire protecting them, and behind the pillar of fire is the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world because they have chariots ready to run down the people of Israel. You know the story, and can you, can you put yourself in their shoes and imagine some of the fears that, that they might have had? You know, God, did you bring us out in the wilderness to kill us? Has anybody ever felt like that, right? Can we, can we be honest enough to say there's been times in our life we've said, God, did you lead me here to kill me? <laughs> so the Red Sea's in front of them, and of course we have the event where, where Moses parts the Red Sea, and, and they go through as if on dry ground, which is different than the Jordan passing. In the Jordan crossing, they have to get their feet wet first. <laughs> There may be a lesson in there somewhere. We'll, 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 when we get to that, we'll talk about that. But God leads them through on dry ground, and then he removes the pillar of fire, and the Egyptians begin pursuing them. This has to be the dumbest army on the face of the earth. Let me tell you, I think I would have had a flat tire on my chariot that day. What about you? Well, yeah, I'll be right with you, Pharaoh. You go through first. These guys pursue into the Red Sea. And and as I thought about that, I think that's kind of life. 
there, there are people, and, and, and you may be having this going on in your life right now, that are so intent on refusing what God's trying to do that you'll make the dumbest choice in the world. And maybe you're struggling right now with a decision and God is giving you a direction, but you're just flat being stubborn. And you see that here. They're just refusing to give up on their own way, no matter what God shows by sign, by miracle. And they go right into the Red Sea and the waters come over them. They drown. So the people of Israel, they're, they're through the Red Sea and then they're in the wilderness. And, and in the wilderness, there are no McDonald's, there are no Tim Hortons, there are no Chipotles or Subways or any restaurants of any type. Okay? They're, they're just kind of on their own. They, they haven't planted, they don't have a store of food, and here they are in the wilderness with no food. Anybody ever been there? Yeah? You know, I, I'm a... I'm one of those guys that when I'm driving with the family on vacation, I always imagine that the next exit has more food. Anybody like that but me? (laughs) You know, just what? (laughs) They're all looking at Steve. I'm sorry, Steve. I I caused conflict, didn't I? (laughs) You know, I'm always saying, I, I think, I just believe the next exit, Terry, will have more food. And, And oftentimes, we've been in the wilderness with no food or gas. They're kind of in that situation. They've went one exit too far, and there's no food. And so in Exodus 15, no food or water, Exodus 15 and 16, God begins to provide them with water and manna. Now, now we don't know when God begins to provide the water and the manna. And, you know, sometimes they have water, fresh water. Sometimes they don't, and God provides water. But, but, but they always need the manna. Well, we don't know when we see this story beginning in Exodus 15 and 16 that this is going to be a 40-year thing or whether it's going to be a few-week thing. It ends up being a 40-year thing that God provides food for them Every day, manna. They get up in the morning and there is enough manna to give them life for that day. If they try to collect enough for the next day, guess what? It goes bad. That The only day that they're able to collect more than one day is, is in preparation of the Sabbath because God wants them resting on the Sabbath. Because God understands that in this journey through the wilderness, we need rest if we're going to make it. You need rest if you're going to make it. If you're running yourself ragged, you're never going to finish this this marathon that we call life. And so God gives them manna, and they have enough for one day, and their clothes doesn't wear out. Apparently there were no teenagers among among the Israelites at that point. You know, their clothes stayed, and they fit, and and they had food, and, and God just provided for them for 40 years years. You know, there's, there's all sorts of lessons in, in, in the wilderness account. Uh, you know, the, the ideal that God only provides for today is a significant lesson that I don't think we should, we should gloss over or pass by. And, you know, God wants us to live in today, and we just talked about that in our last series, but because God 
provides for today. And, and so often, if we were honest, we are consumed with tomorrow and worries about tomorrow. And God says, I will take care of you today. Trust me. But besides this, the, the lesson that we find in the, in the wilderness account is this. God gives life. They were sustained. They were fed. They were led. They were kept. They were protected by God. And it's still true today. God gives life. What you have, God has given to you. When I went to college, I had, it was really kind of cool. Uh, all of my roommates, or most of my roommates, were guys I was in a youth group with in Kansas City. And, and so we went from youth group to room, it's, it's kind of, it'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it, Corey, to, to room with guys from school. He's saying, well, maybe. He's looking at Jeff and saying, I don't know. <laughs> we enjoyed it. And we all lived together. And, and, and Robbie and Dwayne, their, their dad actually was a pastor in Seward, Alaska. When they drove up to Seward, Alaska, up the Alaskan highway, they hit a moose. <laughs> yeah, they hit a moose. And the moose got up, shook itself off, and ran off in the woods, and their car was totaled, Okay. But, but they pastored this little church in Seward, and they lived in the church, and they would come down on Sunday mornings, and if somebody was there, they'd have church. If nobody was there, they'd just go back upstairs. <laughs> it was kind of one of those deals. But, but, but Dwayne's grandpa lived in Alaska, and, and I think he had moved into Alaska, to Alaska partly because it was a lot harder to collect income tax and things like that in Alaska. And, and Dwayne's and Robbie's grandpa was an atheist. And he, he just didn't believe, he rejected the concept of God. And, and so they would sit down as a family, and Robbie and Dwayne's dad, who was a pastor, would want to pray. And their grandpa would say, nope, not here. God didn't provide this food, I did. Of course, it was kind of a source of contention in the family. You know, Dwayne and Robbie's grandpa was wrong, <laughs> Whether he wanted to acknowledge it or not, God is the giver of all life. He is the source of all life that we experience. And the goodness of our God is that he still continues to give life even though we don't always acknowledge it. We are free in this country, not just because of men who have served in the military, and we appreciate the men that have served in the military but we are free in this country because God is the giver of life. He is the source of it all. And whether you choose to acknowledge that or whether you reject that, it's not Honda that gives you life. It's not Bob Evans that gives you food. God is the source of life. Let's flash forward 3,500 years and, and let's consider Jesus again. We, we, we looked at him looked at Jesus last week. Jesus moves from baptism to what? What what happens immediately after Jesus' baptism in the Bible? Somebody yell it out. Temptation. Jesus, and that's another thing that we probably could talk about. He moves from, from this public sign of submission to God. He moves from baptism immediately into to, to, to temptation. And, and the stories are intentionally parallels. Jesus comes from the water to the wilderness. 
It's intentional, folks. God's, God's trying to teach us something. And Jesus moves from water to wilderness to hunger. And the tempter comes and he begins to tempt Jesus. And one of the first temptations is what? Why don't you turn those stones into bread? I know you're hungry. Why don't you make that rock like a big, you know, cinnamon roll or something? And Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus says, it's not about food, it's about my Father's will. It's not about simply being fed. Well, I don't find life just by the food that I eat, but but real life is sourced, it comes from God. And and manna from heaven is great, and and bread is great, and food is great, and water is necessary, but real life comes from God. In John 4, you have this awesome story, and at some point we'll preach from this story, of Jesus encountering this Samaritan woman at the well. And it's just an, it's a fascinating story. And, you know, Jesus is talking to a, to a woman, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman, and it's someone he shouldn't have associated with, but he does. And then the disciples come back, and, you know, they see Jesus, and he's talking to this woman, and, and the disciples don't even know what to think. It's so outrageous. It's, it's kind of scandalous that Jesus would spend time with this half-breed woman. And so they, they began to question Jesus, and you can tell they're kind of dancing around the subject, and, 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 and they're wondering if he's hungry and he's not hungry, and, and they're, they're thinking, well, maybe somebody brought him something to eat. And, and then Jesus says this, you guys are missing the point. <laughs> My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus says, I find life, I am nourished, I am fed when I am doing God's will. When God gives me instruction and I follow it, it's like I'm eating. Life is found in doing God's will. Want to find life? You want to be nourished, you want to be fed, you want to be full. It's not about your own will, but it's about finding God's will and following it. You know, we live in a consumeristic age. Uh, Some call the church the consumer church. And and it's not because the church is consumer, it's because we have so many, frankly, consumer Christians you know, consumer Christians are, are, are Christians that the only thing that matters is what they can get and not what they can give. And you find this, and, and churches become very consumeristic, and it becomes a place where, it, it, let's just say it like this, you can always find a better looking pastor, right? <laughs> well, maybe not, you guys didn't agree, no amens? You know, we, we can always find a church that does things better. Uh, j- just this week, Andy Stanley had a quote on Facebook that reflects, honestly, I love Andy Stanley. I do. I, I, but, but what he said, has said in that statement reflects a consumer church mentality. 
that if it's not bigger, it's not better. That if it's not more, it can't feed. That if it's not new, it's no good. That somehow, and people have bought into this, that they're going from church to church and they're never satisfied. And it's not a reflection of church, it's a reflection of our spirituality. That somehow it's all about my needs. And when I say this, understand this. Your needs matter. Jesus never ignored needs. Jesus met real needs. But when having our needs met, particularly as mature Christians, is the only thing that matters, we're missing the point. As I'm preaching this, I'm reminded, Jesus talks about mature believers and and immature believers. And and he says, immature believers can be, you know, they need milk. But mature believers move on to deeper things. I don't know. I, I think Jesus is talking about mature believers move to a point where it's not just about their needs, but it's about the needs of others. That's, that somehow they begin finding nourishment, not in just having their needs met, but meeting the needs of others. Let me ask you, are you a consumer of God or is God consuming you? If you're going to answer that question, which, are you a consumer of God or is God consuming you? There, there's some individuals in this room that you've got to move. If you want to be what God wants you to be, you've got to move from this point where you're just consuming God to where he's consuming you. See, consumers of God are never satisfied. There's always something better. I'm reminded of a story of a guy that lived on a deserted island. And this is a joke, so you need to laugh at the end of this. And they rescue this guy. I don't know, maybe I've told this before here. I don't know. And there's three structures. And they say, what's the structures? He goes, well, that's my house. And he goes, that's my church. This guy's on this island by himself, by the way, okay. And they go, well, what's the other building? He goes, oh, that's the church I used to go to. Are you a consumer or are you being consumed? To be consumed by God is to give of ourselves to accomplish his will. That's what Jesus says. He was consumed by God and what consumed him was accomplishing his father's will so much so that he was fed by that. What is God's will for me? That, 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 was the, that was the consuming ideal in the life of Jesus. And, and, and for mature believers, if we're mature believers, we should have this attitude like Jesus that the most important thing is not my will, but your will. What's your will in my life, God? Because I want to be consumed. I want to be burned out for you. I think it's John Wesley that said that, that he wanted God to set him on fire and people come watch him burn. <laughs> I love that phrase. I love that ideal. That, that, that's a mature ideal. That, that you just want to be consumed by God and you want to draw people to yourself, not because you want people to be drawn to you, but, but, but you want them to see what God is doing in your life. 
Now, there's a lot of ways we can answer this question. What is God's will for me? I, I wrote down three. Number one is be sanctified. To be set apart for God to use. I'm not going to read the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that. But, but this is the central ideal. That, that God desires a people that are willing to be set apart for him. Sanctified. Holy. Used by him. And, if you've, and I know in this church you've heard that. But if you've not heard it, hear it now. God wants you to get to a point where you're just saying, I'm not set apart to the world, I'm set apart for God, and however he wants to use me is okay. Not my will, but God's will. God's will for you is to make disciples. To tell others about Jesus. And conversion's part of this. Don't, don't mishear me that say pastor's not preaching about conversion. There is a point in every person's life that they convert, that, that they achieve salvation, that they accept Jesus as their savior, savior. But this discipleship process begins before then. See, see Jesus uses this open-ended language. Th- think of the disciples around Jesus. There's this whole group There's the inner circle that we see, but there's the greater circle of disciples. And some of them come to faith and some of them don't. And there's not a a litmus test that Jesus gives them, okay, you either accept me or not. And if you accept me, I'll teach you. If you don't accept me, you're on your own. But Jesus allows them to gather around him and teach us. And I believe we're to model Jesus in that regard. That you're going to have people who are pre-believers. That you are discipling. That you are investing in. When you stop and think about it, it's kind of marvelous. It's kind of an awesome opportunity. Because you can be making a disciple... It's possible that you can be making a disciple that doesn't come to salvation until you're gone. Grandparents, those grandkids that you're praying about, make disciples. Make disciples. Love them. Keep investing. You may see them come to faith in your life. You may not. But you can do God's will by making disciples even before they accept him as their savior. practically extend love by serving and giving to others. You find this throughout the scripture. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It's Micah 6, 8. It says, the prophet says, He has told you, O man, O woman. I didn't say old. I said old. O man, O woman, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I know in, in, in the church world today, there is this division between churches that do justice and churches that don't. And I got to tell you, I don't get it. The word of God is not divided. 
It's not. It's not as if God's saying, okay, I want some denominations that focus on salvation and sanctification and spiritual things, and then I want some denominations that focus on social justice issues like human trafficking and poverty and people in the margins, and you guys do that, and you guys do this. The word of God is not divided. The mission of God is not divided. And whether you're a church that's simply focused on this social agenda or you're a church that's simply focused on this this spiritual agenda, you're missing the point. God wants his people to be involved in his work. And that includes seeking justice. Justice is an enormous, gigantic, overwhelming concept in the word of God. It is everywhere. And when, when the Bible uses the word justice, it's not talking about protection from one another, but it's talking about care for one another, particularly those on the margins. That's why Jesus says, when you do to the least of these, it's as if you're doing unto me. And so when the Bible talks about this, I don't believe this is just like a side thought. I think it's one of the central things we're doing. We're extending this mission of Christ and we're caring for those in the margins. We've encouraged you uh, over the course of this series to, to find a way to make a mark on Marysville. to to somehow serve in our community, to to find a way to touch someone. And and you see on the wall all those ministries you can serve in. We have been very intentional as a church, or I have tried as a pastor, to, to somehow begin to limit to essentials what we do in the church because I want you to be involved out there. Now, we need you to serve here. We, we do. You know, we, we need you in our children's department. There's, there's areas we need help. But we have intentionally scaled back because I believe the church, the church is needed in our community. Our, our services in our community, they need you, the people of God. They need salt and light. And so I believe it's possible... It's possible to fulfill this mandate of serving, the seeking justice, of loving others in a ministry that's not even necessarily a Christian ministry, right? Um, did anybody see the shooting at Madison High School last week in Butler County? That was Spencer's school. That was Spencer's classmates, the eighth graders there. As a matter of fact, the, the little guy that did the shooting was in Spencer's first grade class. And uh, so that really hit home. But, but for me being in Marysville, Spencer would have been sitting in that cafeteria this past Monday. And in that class, in his first grade, and I think his second grade class, the, the teacher wanted readers. And, and that little guy would come and he'd sit by me and read every week. All of them would. Now, they read and I prayed. I did. Every little guy, every little girl that sat next to me were prayed for that day while they were reading. 
I sure hope they were reading all the words right too. (laughs) But if nothing else happened, they were prayed for. Your school, your community needs you. They are desperate for the love of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, sometimes they won't come to a ministry, but they may come to a service of some type. Seek justice. Love kindness. You know, the other missional aspect of this series is is having someone come into your house. (laughs) I, I love that sometimes these great biblical principles aren't like, you know, holiness. They're like kindness. Everyone can be kind, right? Isn't that one of the first things your mom's taught you before you went to kindergarten? Be nice to others. And kindness is, I believe you can be kind just by finding someone that that maybe you don't know so well, that you'd like to know better. Maybe it's somebody that's new to the church. Maybe it's somebody that's that's been here for a while. And then just invite them to your home, invite them out for coffee. Just extend some practical kindness to them. Well, as we think about this, I guess we would close it with this ideal. Jesus is inviting you to dine on God's will. (laughs) You ever hear the phrase, you are what you eat, right? You are how you eat, spiritually speaking. And I think Jesus is inviting us to dine on God's will. And when I think about that concept, and as we're closing out this sermon right now, I want you to think in this way. Do you plan your meals? Who plans meals, right? You know when you're going to eat. You know, it's not just, well, I'm hungry, I'll eat. Usually, you know, you're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and whatever. Spencer was always funny when he was little. You know, if we, like, slept in and had, like, a late, a late breakfast, early lunch, and then we'd eat maybe a late dinner, and he may, maybe ate at 6 or 7 o'clock, then, like, at 9 o'clock, Spencer would say, I'm hungry. And we'd say, we just ate two hours ago. He goes, yeah, but I didn't have breakfast. <laughs> You know, what if we saw serving God in that way, that, that, that we were so consumed with being fed, with finding life in God, that, that we had to have these regular avenues of service, and if we didn't serve, we were spiritually hungry. See, I think we need to be regular in our service. It's not something that's hit and miss. It's not, well, when upwards here, I'll do a weekend here and there. But but God expects his people to be plugged into regular service to other folks. I had a a guy that I I pastored with, and uh, with his family, he he had, and I've talked about it here, there was three things. Have I worshipped this week? (laughs) Have I been in a small group this week? Have I served this week? Those were the three questions they would ask each other. I'd add this, have I prayed with somebody this week? I think if you could find yourself worshiping with other folks in a small group gathered around God's word, praying with other people, and serving in some way, that is the beginning of maturity. What is my expectation of a church member? Worship, small group. Praying, serving, each week. And we need to be regular about that. And, 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 you know, we need you to serve here. We need you to serve out there. You know, we don't want to overwhelm you. 
because you have life to live as well. So be regular, but, but also snacks. Anybody like snacks? Yeah, if Christy Paint was handing out Oreos right now, how many would take one, right? Everybody would. Everybody likes snacks. You know, God sometimes provides snacks. <laughs> you don't realize that? that? That God offers little opportunities to serve him just on the spur of the moment that are just like snacks. This past week, Spencer and I was at um, Steak and Shake, and we're sitting there, and it, it was when it was raining. What day was that? Thursday or whatever? Nobody. All week, we were in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> it was raining, and um, so we go into Steak and Shake, and, uh, and Steak and Shake's awesome. Between two and five, it's half price shakes, and that's, you know, it's great. We had like eight of them, and... Uh, <laughs> But there was, in front of the store, there was this shopping cart from a homeless guy where, you know, he's just getting out of the rain. And he's sitting there, and um, it was a snack that God offered me. You know, I tried to pay for his meal, but he already paid for his meal with pennies and dimes. But I buy him a milkshake. You know, I hand him a few dollars to, you know, hopefully to get food with. You never know what people are going to do with that, right? But it's just prompted that I felt like God was saying, you need to do this. And in the process of this, I, you know, I asked the, the, the waitress, and, and I'm not bragging on myself. I, I got to tell you, I'm like a, most guys. I need my wife with me. She is much more spiritually discerning than me. <laughs> she is. Ter- Terry senses this stuff like that, and then I'm like, man, I'm the pastor. That really stinks that she caught that first. <laughs> so I asked the waitress. I said, hey, has this guy, did, I, I want to buy his meal. And she said, he's already paid, but he didn't tip me. (laughs) You know what? I left her a big tip. And she came over and spent some time talking to me. Uh, I love the snacks that God offers. You know these shirts with this beautiful logo? (laughs) It's a beautiful logo. I was going to say a silly logo. But, you know, it's kind of an insignificant thing. It's not a big deal to me. But do you know how many spiritual conversations I've had just because of this shirt? Amen. You know how many times I've went to a store, and usually the conversation is something like that. I used to go to that church. Gene McBride <laughs> used to bring me. You know how many times I've had, oh, I think I'm going to come back. Snacks that God offers us. See, though, to eat the snacks you got to be attentive. Stand with me, if you will. Over the next four years, I'm going to work on my long-winded preaching. I'm sorry, it's a little bit past. So, uh, Lord, help me <laughs> to, to be shorter in my delivery. But, Lord, help us uh, to, to find ways to, to love you and to serve you and to dine on you by serving you. May we be people, may we be mature believers who understand that it's not about our will, but your will. May may we not be a consumer of you, but may we be consumed by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.